0: Ladies and gentlemen, truth is what the storyteller brings you. He holds up a mirror to your soul and reflects back the truth of what happened.
1: Welcome to episode 27 of This Blonde Can't Talk About Anything. I hope you didn't miss me too much because technically this should be episode 28 but last week i didn't put out an episode the previous week was episode 26 which i didn't mention but i'll mention now marks half a year of weekly episodes from me which is weird um but there was no no episode last week because after conducting the uh, interview/conversation with my guest The amazing Brad Dorif. It was heavy. There was a lot of personal stuff said, and I've I've removed some of it, and some of it stayed in. And it it went on for so long that this is going to be a two part episode with a two part series rather with Brad Dorif. And then I got sick, like hospital sick, so I wasn't able to you know edit anything or record anything from there. And now I'm at home, and I'm still sick. except now I can record things um, horizontally from my bed whilst feeling like I'm half dead. But it's okay, because I want you guys to hear um, Brad's episode, it, the first one anyway, and next week you'll have the second half. And it's, it was a lot of fun. And he offers some pretty great insight into just who Brad Dorov is outside of the Chucky um, franchise. Of course, we do mention Chucky, although most of that is... On episode two. So before I just throw it to the interview, I usually mention this at the end of my episodes, but I just realized that that didn't make any sense. You can listen to this on um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and SoundCloud, or the host website, but I highly recommend using a streaming platform and subscribing. You can subscribe on... um, I think all of them, and you can review on iTunes, as far as I know. So if you if you don't mind, you know, go to my Twitter, which is a blonde who talks a b l o n d e w h o t a l k s. I almost spelled that wrong. Click on my link tree, and you'll have options to go to all the different um, streaming platforms. So without further ado, I give you. Brad, Dorif and me in conversation. And yeah, I probably did talk a bit too much. I was very nervous. <laughs> Hi. It's,
0: right. it's, oh, yeah. I have to tell
2: you, this is a really a huge honor for me because you really are somebody who has been a really a huge influence on my decision to, um, to become an actor. And it's amazing to me. So I don't know... Why you would want to talk to some strange girl like me? But I thank you so much for doing it.
0: Well, um, I guess I guess um, I don't think you're a strange girl.
2: <laughs> oh No, we're all strange, aren't we? If we, when we choose yeah. this profession, we're a little nutty, right? So before I start the interview, I just want to can I say something very personal to you? Is that okay? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so you're known for you know the the Chucky franchise, but uh, this is not. What I what I watched and the, my the, the the role that you played that has actually affected me the most was um, Adam Rain on Criminal Minds and I was watching Criminal Minds oh. long before that ever came on but when I saw it it hit me because when I was ten years old my grandfather passed away and my grandfather was like a method actor who had never actually done it but. Somehow he would—he just could come alive as any character for me, and I never grieved for him ever. And I was watching this episode over and over again, and my mom thought that I was trying to figure out how to turn people into puppets. <laughs> and I, I realized in watching it when when um, when Thomas Gibson says to Adam Rain, "You know your your father loved you so much that he never told you that they weren't real and they only moved." because he made them. And then I sort of accepted that my grandfather was gone, but he had brought all of this magic to life for me and and he left it here. And I don't have to go, you know, I I wanted to recreate, I wanted to write a screenplay in which we would, he would not die and uh, he would come back and we would just have this magnificent life together. And that episode really taught me that I can't bring him back and I can't write what could have been because I don't know what it would have been. And I actually take an audio clip where you are speaking from that episode, where you say the actor's job is to uh, hold up a mirror and reflect back the truth of what has happened or what should have happened. And I play it before every single audition. And I always remember that what should have happened can never happen because you just, you can't control the narrative. So I just want to thank you for taking that, that role on because it, it's just, it was a strange role, and I think a lot of people thought it was just disturbing, frankly, but to me, it was just so beautiful, so thank you for that.
0: Oh, I'm glad you got that much out of it. I, uh, that's remarkable. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and I kind of think that's true.
2: Um, yeah, I can't believe that episode is 10 years old, and I it sits with me almost every day of my life, so you wow. have really touched me, and in a beautiful way, Um, so thank you. That's really, I I just, like I, (laughs) you are a magnificent actor, Brad, and I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, but you are as wonderful as Marlon Brando ever was, and I love him. Yeah, me too. Well, there we go. Have you ever um, actually met him or anything like that? No,
0: I've never met Marlon Brando.
2: No, you've never met with him, but um, Tennessee Williams, you did meet I assume at circle rep right
0: no I sort of had left when he during the period when he um when he started working with circle rep so I Mm. I well I may have met him but yeah I was just very loosely around at that point
2: oh okay and you um and that's kind of where you started but I read that it was your mom who who made you want to be an actor because originally you wanted to be a florist that is that right
0: well no i don't remember ever wanting to be a florist oh my god well (laughs) my mother did uh did uh first um the first time i really thought of myself becoming an actor is when is when um i was coming back from boarding school the first year i came back from boarding school and she was doing anastasia and um uh, you know in the local uh uh, community theater and um i watched her do this rehearsal where she was talking about a butterfly and i saw a butterfly and um i said i really want to learn how to do that i don't know how she made me see the butterfly
2: but she did um i don't know how they do that either i had my grandpa was not trained but um He had a very hard time convincing me that the living room was not uh, the Wizard of Oz. For several years, this man would dance around the table and be whichever character I needed him to be. And I was always Dorothy, of course. And uh, I would only respond to that name. And I guess I was kind of method acting when I was three. And he never stopped it. He never. And my dad would be like, it's not real. And he would be like, leave, let her be, leave her, leave her to believe it's real. Your mom sounds like that kind of a person to me.
0: She was a really good actress, and she um, she used to read to us. She was just incredibly talented.
2: As are you, and as is your daughter. Do you think it's hereditary? Oh, I love your daughter. I mean, the reason I don't like the Chucky movies is because when I was um, maybe 10, my cousin told people that I was Chucky in the, in the corner store. And then I went there with my dad and this guy was like, hi, Chucky. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not Chucky. And she also used to take, I had a stuffed animal that we we repeat what you would say. And she would record Robert Forrester's voice on there and I'd press on it and it would say one, two, and I was like three years old. So I was, I was terrified of those movies, but watching them back now, I think, I don't know why they rebooted it. You are just, it's, it's you, you, you made it, you did, you made that. So I mean. And also, you know, something I watched it again the other day just for the kick, the thrill of watching uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest again. And it actually reminded me quite a bit of a film. um, It's called The Men, which is actually Marlon Brando's very first film, which very few people know. And he went to uh, live with quadriplegics so that he could actually bring them to life as they were. Did you do anything like that for for that film?
0: For which film are you talking about?
2: the the cuckoo's nest.
0: Oh um, no, no! I I did. Um, I found somebody who um, who was uh, working with people with who um, stutter, and um, there was a they actually had a textbook, which um, I got a copy of, and um, I sort of learned how to reverse engineer it. And, oh, wow. Um, you know, I went and did things like, uh, go to Grand Central Station where there's a lot of pressure and people in a hurry and, and, um, you know, and, um, and stutters. And from that, I learned that people are enormously patient with people who stutter way more than I thought they
2: would be. I think that comes down to, you know, the human condition. And it's kind of a beautiful thing to hear that because I've never had um, to really dig that deep for any th- role that I've that I've done yet, but I'm hoping. I'm... Everybody
0: stutters differently. You just have to f- figure out how you do it, and um, right. it's uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, it, it's. I think it's something that every anybody would do if they were really seriously going to play a stutterer,
2: or uh, just any character that has a, a sort of impairment that you don't yeah, you have. have is practice. yeah, you have
0: to it, practice, it,
2: right, and. Um, I wanted to say something, and I totally it just it just slipped my mind. That movie is—I don't know if a lot the, the cuckoo's nest. I don't think people picked it up the way I did, but I actually see it in other films. Like I don't know if you've seen Matilda or not, but uh, the woman who mentors me, uh, Robin Swicord, and her husband uh, Nicholas Kazan, they wrote that film. And the, Mrs. Ratchet reminds me of Mrs. Trunchbull. It's it's incredible how many parallels that film has even in Don Juan DeMarco where, you know, Johnny Depp plays a severely deluded patient. In the end, Marlon Brando's character wants to take him with him, like the same way Jack Nicholson's character wanted to take Billy with him and they just go off and live like this beautiful life. And do, do, how does that make you feel to see that your work has influenced a lot of other things?
0: Well, I don't know how, how um, Cuckoo's Nest influenced uh, Don Juan DeMarco. I think that was the name of that movie, right?
2: Correct. Yes.
0: Um, um, uh, you know, uh, I thought Brando was beyond brilliant in that. I thought his work was just really, really remarkable. Um, and and um, I thought everybody was wonderful in, in, in that movie. Um, you know, I think, I mean, that was just about Don Juan. It was, uh, you know, about... Um, about you know the impulse toward romance and 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 how important it is um and that we should it's just the mental aspect that be respected and his influence on other people was you know how much he was um you know he he was so his craziness made him so inspired i don't know how real all that is you know, but um, I don't know if there was any, there's ever been anybody or any situation actually like that. But, um, but I think it was more allegorical than anything, but I, you know, cuckoo's nest was also an allegory. I, I think.
2: I just Alleg- think it the, the mental um, aspect of it is because he's so delusional, but Brando has no desire to fix him. He wants to leave him that way because his, delusions are not hurting anybody in the same way that there's nothing wrong with most of the people in the cuckoo's nest and Jack Nicholson just wants to free them and say, hey, go out and have a life. And I've grown up in a generation where mental illness is something that we hear about every single day. And when I myself, uh, you know, experienced uh, my best friend committed suicide and I became depressed, And I was made to feel that this was a condition that I was going to have forever. And it's not. I don't think that I am depression. I think that I was depressed. And I think that now today I can, um, he was also an actor, that I can watch his work and laugh, tells me that I've recovered and I'm going to be okay. You know, like that's, that's what I mean about the mental state of it. I would love to talk about your time at circle rep. And I know that that's really important to you because Claudia mentioned it to me and I was going to bring it up. Anyway, I have a question. Were you there at at all overlapping with Peter Hedges? No, no. Have you ever met Peter Hedges? No, wow! I
0: don't, but I don't, I don't remember. I, um, Um, I was there uh, in 1969 uh, through about 73, 74. And then I I left. Um, I don't know when he was there.
2: I don't know when he was there either. I just know that he was because um, his son is someone that I uh, became friends with. Lucas Hedges, amazing actor. Um, I'm sure you've seen his work probably. (laughs) I don't,
0: I don't know the name, but I'm sure I hope I've seen his work. Have you seen
2: Manchester by the Sea? No. Okay. You probably haven't seen his work, but he is a wonderful young actor, a lot like you, you were at the time that you played Billy, but just a little bit younger. Um, So I just have notes on things because I, many people that I admired actually went to Circle Rap and I don't know if any of them overlapped with you, but there was um, David Mann that was there and then John Bates and uh, david mammoth the one that wrote glengarry glen ross yes, yes, yes. what was that like what was it like to to work i with didn't
0: him? i i wasn't there when david mammoth was there um
2: so you're like an original member right kind of yes. thing you yes. were there with uh, conchata farrell and, and and she's yeah
0: i knew chatty really well
2: i don't know her but i do actually i know um because john Cryer actually told me that she told you to go, go into acting she urged yes. you to do it
0: Yes.
2: And that's so beautiful to me. Why, Brad, would you feel like you weren't enough to go into acting on your own without being urged?
0: Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't like that at all. Um, um, I was in, I was doing a, um, a political review. And, um, you know, I was just, um, I had gone to uh, Marshall University where, where um, Chatty had gone to school. And um, Chatty just came back and said, what are you doing here? And I said, um, I'm wasting my time. And she said, come to Circle Rep. Show me about Circle Rep. And I sort of appeared on her doorstep, um, you know, knowing nobody. Um, and, um, and then I went and um, they really needed people to do, um, to do uh, technical stuff there. So that's what I did. I just went there and started doing technical stuff.
2: And then you sort of fell in love with it all.
0: I became a member, and and, um, and you know i got parts and and learned how to act.
2: And how big? I want to hear all about Marshall Mason. How big of an influence was he on you?
0: Marshall Mason, I I assistant directed a lot of his stuff, took his notes, and um, and uh, stage managed productions that that he did. Um, he was um, uh, uh, Marshall. Uh, Lanford Wilson and, um, and um, um, Sanford Meisner were the three people who really were the biggest influences on me uh, when
2: Your I was...
0: Life. A, yeah.
2: Marshall Mason, I know actually quite a bit about because uh, he was, I'm told, heavily uh, influenced by Elia Kazan. He was inspired by Elia Kazan's work. And my mentor is married to his son. So she he told me a lot of, you know, that Marshall was he had an affinity for streetcar and all the things that Aliah did. And I think that's kind of an interesting because Aliyah didn't really do like stage productions very much. He was a film director. Yeah. He's a film guy. And Marshall was a stage guy. And they're very different, the stage and the and the and the screen. And from what I've heard, you don't you prefer to film to stage as well, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
2: So um, why why did Marshall impact you so much? If you with well, my sorry, my cats walking in the background. <laughs> when I,
0: yeah, I know that was a cute cat too. Um, <laughs> uh, um, well, Marshall, first of all, was extremely erudite. I mean, you know, he he put everything in a in a, um, in a historical perspective. Um, he, you know, was well trained. He was probably the director who worked best with actors that I've ever, that I've ever, he was really an actress director. When he directed, he could make things look like a play look like it was never directed at all. It just happened. It
1: yes. would be
0: beautiful and it would be, you know, beautifully staged everything, but it just didn't look like, just didn't look like somebody had directed it. Um, and there were several productions that, that I saw that he did. He, I never was in anything that he directed that was successful, nothing. Um, um, until, uh, um, I did a, uh, Tennessee Williams play with Amanda Plummer. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and we, uh, during, um, Tech week we lost the director. And and um yeah, the whole thing was gonna come apart. We were two weeks out from opening night. And um I happened to know that Marshall was in town and and I talked to him about it, and he came in and um and took over is to make a long story short. And um, and so he directed me in that.
2: That was not the first Tennessee Williams play he, he did either, was it?
0: No, no. He did, um, I forget the name of it. It's no, he did
2: Streetcar, right. I believe.
0: Yeah. Um, and Streetcar and, is phenomenal. And, but he had known Tennessee Williams for years before right. Tennessee Williams came to Circle Rap. Well,
2: I think that's usually the case a lot of times when they come together like that. It sort of reminds me of um, the actor's studio, but a little bit different, uh, is that what the experience was like do you think
0: yeah um i don't well i wasn't in the um actor's studio the actor's studio was really um much more designed uh for actors than circle rep circle rep was designed for playwrights right um and what marshall was trying to do was create um a company of um of actors who um who could survive, um, you know, um, uh, all these people coming in and directing plays there, using the actors, but um, but uh, um, um, the actors would be able to survive directors who weren't so great at um, at directing actors who um, who were you know weren't so great at being ruined by you know, who could stand up to playwrights and not be, you know, and, you know, be helpful, but not be uh, ruined by them. Playwrights have a specific vision in their heads, a lot of times, um, the way they want to see it. And you can't, you you know, you can't, you can't get what you, you can't always get what you want, but you can, but if you try, you can get what you need. And that's sort of the, uh, really what a playwright has to, the transition a playwright has to make, the realization a playwright has to make.
2: Something that I loved about um, Lanford Wilson was that even like before I was probably even born, he was bringing to light issues that mattered. Like, you know, it didn't matter if you were gay or what you were and- but He was, was just- gay. But yeah, but I'm saying in, it was something that was not accepted at that in, in this time. And now today we accept it so much. And he was very much, I think, ahead of his time and even ahead of a lot of people my age.
0: Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Lanford was, um, was um, um, you know, that era was uh, a time when people were beginning when gay people were really beginning to make an issue out of being gay. And Lanford was um, really felt like um, he should sleep with every guy that he, that, that he wanted to. He was very, very upfront about being gay, an outrageous flirt. And, um, um, and, and he got in trouble for it eventually. Um, um, but I mean, I suppose yeah, I mean, I, I just want to make the point that Lanford was not alone in that by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no, not at all. There were a, a lot of people, particularly Circle Rep, but a lot of, of um, people in the village and so forth who were very, very outspoken about being gay and um, very much part of uh, the gay liberation movement, which went on and on um, um, after that.
2: But it continue, it even continues today. And that's why I just think yeah, that yeah. he was ahead of his time. And uh, he, he was well, a great were, as playwright.
0: Were, as were a lot of people.
2: As were, I think, you. Do you even Does that ever occur to you that, that you were this just so brilliant without people even realizing it? And you were nominated for an Oscar in the first film that anybody ever really seen you in? That was not your first film, correct? Just your first film that we'd seen or yeah. we could see? And, and when you got nominated for an Oscar, did it change the way that you felt about yourself as an actor? Well,
0: you know, I mean, suddenly, you know, you know, there was a lot of press and a lot of recognition. And yeah, your life changes at that point. People want to know you who, you know, couldn't care less. And, um, you know, you just get a lot of attention that uh, that you normally uh, wouldn't get.
2: You don't seem like somebody who wants attention like that, though, to me. It's well, it's, for you it's sorry.
0: There's no point in being an actor unless you want to be successful. I mean, you know, there's, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, essentially, I mean, you know, you want to have people look at you. You 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 wouldn't be up on stage or in a film unless you were interested in attention.
2: Correct. You know?
0: um, There's just not, there's just no way around that one. I, you know, I, I really believed in what, um, you know, those people were believed in, uh, which was that the important, the plays, the thing, you know, it's not the actor. It's not, it's, it's the play that's important that people should go and, um, and get involved and be swept away by, you know, the evening that they're having in theater that is, you know, the play. And, um, and I, I, that was what was important to me. So it was, you know, really two things. When you're shooting, you, you don't do everything at once, but right. it's all, it's, so when you're shooting, it's about the scene. And um, when you're shooting a movie and when you're doing a play, it's, it's the whole play.
2: Well, yeah. And I learned a lot about that because I had this crazy idea that I should go to the film festival, which I had never done before. And I dragged my mother there all day because I thought that I could go there and just meet Brian Cranston and talk to him and like we would be best friends. That didn't happen. But the director of the film, <laughs> she saw me across this from across the street and it was an E.L. O film, Wakefield, and she crossed the street and she just came over to me and she I don't know why she did it. She doesn't know why she did it. And she gave me her phone number and her email. And I emailed her and I was like, what can I do to help you? And she was like, oh, I need help with with social media. And She didn't need help with social media. She had it in her head that she was going to put me in a room with Brian. And she did. And I was it was in New York. I had never been to New York. And I'm I'm walking, she's walking me over to this man. And I don't know if I'm gonna get the dad from Malcolm in the Middle that I wanted or Walter White or who. And I'm thinking, what right do I have to be in this room? And I walk over and Brian just turns on a foot and looks at me and he goes, Hi. And I'm like, nothing's shaking. What what's wrong? And I realized that for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged in the industry. And Brian has explained to me that you know he did uh, films that became, uh, f- sorry, plays that became films. Most notably, network. Uh, not, yeah, not network. It was the one he did before that, all the way. And he, and I'd never seen all the way, but I had I seen the film. And he said if you'd seen the play, they were completely different. So that's why I think it's so interesting that you know so much about about both having done so m- more film than than stage. And he actually enjoys the stage. He says he likes the opportunity to make a mistake. <laughs> I don't want that.
0: Well, you, you certainly make mistakes when you're shooting. Right? And sometimes that's your best work. You know, I mean, that's- Sometimes,
2: really... yes. I just, I am so fascinated. Have you ever um, seen any of uh, Brian's work that, that resounded with you or is that just a me thing? <laughs>
0: Brian, no, I don't
2: know his, Brian. Oh, yes, yes. His work is breaking bad. Bad, Yes, that's what I was afraid of, that he was going to look at me and go, I'm the one who knocks. I was like, oh, you know. And someone else that you worked with um, many times, Sam L. Jackson. Excellent, amazing actor, right? Not somebody that I ever thought... um, I would find myself aligned with. And one day I was, I was in California. And the first time I went to California, I felt very much like the scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where Jack Nicholson breaks everybody out and Billy looks out the window of that bus. And I looked out the window of the plane and I saw the Hollywood sign in the distance and it was about this big. But so many people had told me that I would never get there and I couldn't get there and I couldn't be there and I wasn't pretty enough to be there. And my agent called me that day and he said... You need to change your hair color because you're not pretty enough to be a blonde. And I was devastated and I was walking down the street and I was crying and this yellow car pulls over. Now this is, you've been in LA, so you know Hollywood and La Brea is not necessarily an area where you expect to meet um, safe people. And this yellow car pulls up beside me, he goes, excuse me, are you an actress? And I said, leave me alone is what I said. And he was wearing sunglasses and I kept walking and he rolled down the window and he said, excuse me. And I turned around. It was Quentin Tarantino. And he asked me to get in the car. And I was like, OK, get in the car. What do you want? And he's like, I have a project and I think that you could you could really be in it. And and he was and he has you know been in touch since. And. And Sam L. Jackson is somebody that you worked with and, and that he has worked with multiple times. And I couldn't believe that somebody like Tarantino could see me and think that I was worthy of anything. And I didn't even think that I was worthy of being a character actor until, I, until that moment. And you are essentially defined as a character actor, but I feel like you're a leading man. Do you feel like you're a leading man? No. No? Do you feel like you've ever played the leading man? Yeah, of course I have. You of have? I have. Of course yeah. you have. I remember you in ragtime. I thought you were so charming until you said, I design fireworks and I can make bombs. I was a little scared. And also somebody who was in there, I don't know if you if you guys intersected, Mandy Patinkin.
0: Yeah, of course I, Mandy Patinkin. I, I, yes, I did. I Do you love him?
2: Do you just love him? He was a
0: really, really, really fun person to be around.
2: Well, I know this because... I decided to do that film festival thing again. But this time I waited all day <laughs> by myself just for Mandy. And there was nobody else there for Mandy. They wanted, you know, young kids. And when he got out of the car, I had a sign and it said, Hi, Mandy. I dressed casual, which of course is the name of his um, concert series. And he came over and he started clapping. And this year on my birthday, I got a email from nowhere of Mandy singing happy birthday to me and then ending it by saying you're going to make it and when you do please remember me because I'm old and I need jobs (laughs) I just I was it blows my mind that people like you and like Mandy could care about somebody like me and I wonder is it because you remember what it's like to be me because some people forget that do you remember when you were like just a, a scatterbrained little like young man who just kind of didn't know if he was, you know, worth it? Do you still remember those days?
0: Um, yeah, of course I remember what I, I remember what it was like before before I um, you know I, I got lucky enough to be in one um, for the cuckoo's nest. Hating auditions is something that I certainly never liked them. <laughs>
2: Do you ever have a bad one? Like, what's your, can I hear that story? What's your worst audition story?
1: Commercial.
0: Oh, I, you know, I, um, I had a lot of those. I, you know, I, um, uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I did one audition for a commercial and, um, it was, um, I, it was, uh, for Fritos and, um, and, um, I went in and all of these kids, you know, like maybe one thirteen, fourteen, 14, and maybe, maybe one sixteen, came in while I was there. And this lady uh, got on the phone and said, you know, there's four fellows out here for fritos. And the whole thing just sounded so ridiculous to me that I got the giggles and I couldn't keep a straight face when I went in and, and, um, and tried to do the audition. And um, I, <laughs> of like it was a disaster um <laughs> and my agent at that time never had me audition for another commercial
2: i actually had to drop my my agent because he kept insisting that i needed to change and that was something that i said to quentin tarantino about my agent told me that i needed to, to change this because i needed to look more like uh, everybody else and he asked me to please not change the thing that made me stick out the thing that made me myself and the thing that made me um, so what was
0: it that different. he wanted you to keep the, the same? That
2: my hair. He told me to keep it. He told me Is to keep that my the hair. And now, yes, okay. All right. I curious. was. Pardon me.
0: I said I was just curious.
2: Oh yeah, because my agent thought that as a brunette, because I I was bigger at the time. I've lost you know seventy pounds since then. But he thought at the oh. time that I was just too fat to be on TV, and even when I and not pretty enough. And Quentin Tarantino looked at me and he said, "I don't know your agent, but I don't know what he sees about you that's not pretty. There's nothing that needs to be changed. If you want to lose weight, you do that for you. Don't do it for him or for me or for. And that's something that." I think I loved about, about Conchata Farrell. She never changed who she was and she stayed true to it. And she was brilliant and successful and she did not care what people thought of her. And that's the one thing that I don't think I'll ever learn because I am so, because I, my dad was so, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're fat before I ever was. and well, I no, those
0: things. Well, Chatty, Chatty never had anybody ever in her life saying that to her.
2: Right. But what I'm saying is that I wish that I could have have had the like, guts to be like her. Like, well,
0: Chatty couldn't be anything other than her. No, she was not capable of that. Um, um, you know, she really seriously, she was very smart. Oh, I um, know. Was passionate about history. Um, you know, had very strong opinions about things that was just as true the first day I met her till, you know, the last time I saw her, you know, she loved, she loved people. She loved the people she loved. Um, she, she was, she was a strong supporter of people, you know, I mean, she was, um, she was who she was and, and, and it was, she was not capable of being changed. Um, and That's that, like me. And it sounds like to me, perhaps you're the same thing and you really shouldn't worry about it, that there's no way you're going to be anybody but who you are. It
2: really comes from the people that raised me. The only person, my mom, she doesn't like film. She hates the episode of Criminal Minds that I love because she thinks it's just sick, that the whole show is just sick. And, and she doesn't like movies, but she doesn't like them because my grandpa loved them so much as, and he would watch TV all the time. And when I mean, he was young, obviously, I was not there. And then he showed me The Wizard of Oz. And the day he showed me that damn movie, I think that was the day that I was really born. And if if I hadn't had the grandpa that I had and the grandma that I had and the mother that I had, I would probably not be alive today. Because with my father being so toxic, it's, it it really brings you down. I, I look at you and I see you're so brilliant. And then I see your daughter, Fiona, who is just as brilliant as you. And I think how lucky she lucked out to have such a, a wonderful dad who, you know, believed in probably everything she wanted to do, too. And I, it's, you're just you and my grandfather are they don't make them like you anymore. And no worries, just, oh. thank
0: God, you know,
1: <laughs> that was the first half of a two part series interview with Brad Dorif, who is incredible. If you haven't figured that out already. Um I'm not going to leave a long speech here at the end. I'm going to say this episode was, as they all are, brought to you by TB12 and Tom Brady, and officially, of course. <laughs> by the way, the next time an episode hits football, will in will be in preseason, which is very exciting for me. Which means the episode following, um, you know, the second part of Brad Dorf is probably going to be football because <laughs> I love football. Um, also, please check out Ignorant Gentlemen on Etsy. It's ignorant underscore gentlemen on Etsy. Check out the shop. If you buy something, let me know. Let, let me know what you thought of it and so on. And this episode was officially brought to you by uh, Michael Solberg Family Wines, which is a great affordable bougie on a budget wine available mostly in the United States. So check it out if you can. And if you're like me and you happen to be stuck in Canada because the border isn't open, just um, save up all your your wine money and make sure you check it out when you're able to travel again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of This Blonde Can Talk About Anything. And I'm really excited for um, you guys to hear next week, which is part two of my conversation with Brad Doris.
0: We're in the middle of a performance. This is not how it is.